You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Mark. We're going to look at three different texts this morning. We're going to capture one theme within all three texts. I'll offer a little bit of context to the story, and then we'll continue on in our conversation. So in Mark chapter 8, Jesus encounters 4,000 people who have been following him for a while, massive crowd, and they're hungry. Mark tells us that Jesus says in verse 2, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. All right, now Luke chapter 7. Here the story is Jesus finds a grieving widowed mother whose son's passed away. It's a funeral procession. And in Luke 7 verse 13, it reads, When the Lord saw the grieving widowed mother, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. All right, now John 11. In John 11, the context is Jesus' dear friend Lazarus has passed away. His dear friends, Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, they are grieving, they are hurting. And the text reads in John 11, verse 33 through 35. When Jesus saw her crying, that is Mary, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked, Lord, they told him, come and see. And then the text says in verse 35, that Jesus wept. Now, I love these stories. I love seeing Jesus moved by compassion. And I love seeing Jesus care for hurting people. When I'm in seasons of distress and sadness, I turn to stories like these for comfort. I turn to stories like these to remember that the same Christ who had compassion and cared for the hurting is the same Christ who has compassion and cares for me. But it's easy to forget that Jesus did not give food to the hungry without first having someone give him their loaves and food. It's easy to forget that he did not resurrect the widowed mother's son without first feeling her sorrow. It's easy to forget that he did not resurrect Lazarus from the grave until he cried tears and felt sadness of loss. Henry Nouwen once said, what we see and like to see is cure and change. But what we do not see and do not want to see is care, the participation in the pain, the solidarity in the suffering, the sharing in the experience of the brokenness. So compassion in the biblical language means to be moved in the inner parts, the visceral organs, to be moved in the bowels. That's what the word compassion means, to be moved in the bowels. It's, it's gut-level sympathy that actually is empathy. That's why empathy is biblical. It's, it's a gut-level sympathy that calls for some sort of action. That's what compassion means. Compassion is to care and to show care. Now, the old Saxon word for care is kara, which means to lament or to mourn or to share in another person's pain. It's, it's entering into the suffering, not taking it away. 
That's why the Latin word capacio means to suffer with. Now, why all that nerd speech? Well, it's important because all forms of care are expressions of compassion. To care is to show compassion, and to show compassion is to care. Now, now to put it in another way, reflective of what we see here in the story of Jesus, is that to be moved with compassion is to participate in the pain, to share in the suffering, to enter into the experience of the brokenness. That's what it actually means to care. The problem is we're a culture of fixers. We long for a cure more than care. And we rightly long for a cure, but there's a trap in that. There are situations where we can't fix what is broken. There are situations where we cannot offer a cure. We, we can only alleviate. We, we can't take it away. And when that happens, it becomes a burden, a frustration, sometimes may even rob us of our hope. But what if cure is not the goal? Like, what if care is the goal? Because that requires Christ-like compassion. Care is what we do. Cure is what Christ can do. So I've come to learn that I have little influence over the cure, but great influence over the care. We have little influence over what can cure society of its hatred or fear, but we have complete influence over how much we care. And that in itself may be a part of the cure. As disciples of Jesus, we live our lives knowing that a cure has been created and offered to the world in Christ, but we are not the cure. Our call as disciples is not to cure. Our call is to care. And in caring... We bear witness to the cure that is Christ. Maybe that's why Paul, when writing the Christians in Colossae, he says in Colossians 3, verse 12 through 13, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. And then in another letter that he wrote to the Christians in Ephesus, he says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. To care is to participate in the pain, share in the suffering, and enter into the experience of the brokenness we see. As servants of the suffering servant, we are actually summoned to enter into the suffering of others. So, to, to be a Christ follower, and see another person suffering pain or rage and not care or show compassion, but instead choose to be dismissive or defensive because their suffering pain or rage steps on my toes or somehow offends me or disrupts my beliefs. To do that is to be unchristlike. We are called to care, not qualify people's pain 
or suffering or even their rage. But when we press in to the presence of Christ who reigns, who is at work within us by the Spirit of God at work among us and between us, when we enter in to the pain and the suffering and maybe even the rage of those who are just deeply hurting, we then cooperate with the Spirit's work within us, among us, between us, and we learn how to care. We begin to care. The Spirit prompts us to care. And when the Spirit does this, as disciples of Jesus, we are moved to acts of self-giving love where there is fear. We are moved to a commitment to become peacemakers where there's denial and justice and violence. And when I say peacemakers, I mean being committed to a courageous and faithful presence that advocates in word and action for the things that make for peace, for human flourishing, for all, for the liberation of the mind and the heart and the soul and the body. And the Spirit prompts us to care and we are moved, we are moved then to acts of gracious hospitality where there's exclusion, where when we live in the reign of Christ in the midst of the world, we extend God's generous and gracious welcome to the unwanted, least, last, left out, and lonely, and invite them to make their home with us as we make our home with God. To be moved with compassion and to care is to live the sermons we want to preach, the songs we sing, prayers we pray, the words we write. And on those days where we cannot seem to care, where we have compassion, fatigue, where we are just tired, we remember that King Jesus still cares. Remember that he cares for us, always has, always will. And then we do whatever it takes to entrust ourselves to his care. We listen to scriptures, we pray prayers, we sing songs, we intentionally look at the beauty of the world that surrounds us as we stop and pause and surrender to the sunset or marvel at the fragility of a beautiful flower or the calmness of still waters or laughter with friends and family. And in those moments, the Creator meets us there and reminds us that these glimpses of beauty and peace are signposts to His compassion. As much as God cares for the sunset and the flower and the still waters and the friends and family with whom we laugh, He cares for me and for you and for all of us and all the people we see. When we cannot care, King Jesus does and will teach us how to care if we entrust ourselves to him. Now, I've come to believe that one of the greatest gifts Christ has given his church to remind us of his compassion and care is the Eucharist. It's at his table, surrounded by my brothers and sisters in Christ, that I remember the depths of his limitless compassion. And even when the words of King Jesus stings a little, when, he, when his words disrupt and discomfort, he still speaks out of deep compassion. And I remember that no one is irredeemable. I remember no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. There's no span of time or space because as far as the east is from the west, God's grace can meet us there. 
I remember that King Jesus is the table-setting, banquet-hosting lover of the religious, ridiculous, righteous, and wretched. He wants everyone to know that God's hospitality is extended to all because God is moved with great love to welcome us and great compassion to care for us. No one is turned away and no one is excluded. From the first to the last, all are welcomed. He invites us to trust him, to give him thanks, to sit at his table and enter in his presence. See, it's, it's there at the table that the cure to all of life's pain, suffering, and brokenness is declared. It's there that we remember that our unfaithfulness or our lack of compassion will be renewed because of the compassion of Christ we receive in the bread and in the wine. It is there that we remember that what the Father has done through Jesus by the Spirit cannot be undone by our unfaithfulness. But we also remember that as disciples of King Jesus, our faithfulness matters to God and he will reward us, whether in this life or the next, because he has called us to care as he cares and given us his Spirit so that we can. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.